0: So before we look at Luke chapter 2, I just want to do a a little bit of an intro, just a a way to connect what we've been talking about with what we're going to be talking about. So um, we've been in the book of Daniel, and we've moved on. We just started looking at the prophetic section of that book, so we're going to take a break now, and we're going to look at the Christmas story. But um, I don't think of it as a break. I actually think of it as kind of an expanded view of Daniel, because if you remember in Daniel, there was this statue, right that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw, and Daniel saw later, the statue, and it was representing all the world powers that were going to come to uh, rule this earth. And you remember the, the golden head and the, the silver torso and the bronze legs and the, and the toes and all that stuff. Remember that? Anybody? Okay, okay, good. All right,. And then there's something else about this statue that's really important, and that's what's going to lead into, or that's what ties directly to what we're going to be talking about the next three weeks, is there's this big boulder that is coming down off this hill, rolling with speed and momentum and force, and it's so powerful that is when it gets to the statue, it just obliterates it. And all that power, everything that statue stood for, is gone, and all that's left is that rock. I think we can all agree that the birth of Jesus Christ way back all that time ago in the little city of Bethlehem in a manger was the beginning of that rock starting its downward roll to take out all the, all the evil, all the powerful kingdoms, all, everybody who thinks that they're in charge, that rock gets started on its roll uh, when Jesus is born. So... We're not really taking a break. We're just kind of looking at a little, some things a little more in depth the next three weeks. So, if you would, uh, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 2? And today we're going to look at the joy of Christmas. Uh, so, as you're turning there, I have a question. And you can be honest, and I want you to raise your hand because I'm very interested in, in knowing. So, I was thinking about Christmas time and. Uh, Everybody gets united at Christmas time for many different things, right? And one of the most, uh, one of the things that unites most people over Christmas is the Hallmark Movie Channel, right? At Hallmark stores now, you go, and they have whole sections dedicated to movie memorabilia for these movies. That's all I hear people talk about. And I guess at Thanksgiving, they were already playing movies. So by show of hands, how many people here, and come on, be honest now. It's okay. We're, this is church. You can be honest. How many of you have, are watching that channel all the time, Anytime you get? Yeah, right, okay. I bet it's more. I bet it's more. I bet it's more than that. Yeah, but we do that, right? It is so. It is such a part of our culture now. Hallmark Christmas movies. So I've seen a few of them, and they're very similar. And I mean, I'm not going to say they're great, but whatever. They're they're okay. But there's like this similar thing they do, right? The, they uh, they start out, and there's uh, no matter who the main character is, there's uh, you know you like them. They're 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 uh, relatable. They're going through something, right? And then there's a problem that they face. And, uh, and it seems like, oh, no, something's going to go wrong, and it's never going to get resolved, right? And then at the end, everything works out, usually on Christmas or by Christmas Day. And the snow's falling, yeah, it's really nice out, and the tree's pretty, and the kids aren't screaming for their presents. They're just nicely opening them. And it's all great. It all works out at the end. And people love that stuff because as we as humans, we love a good ending, right? That makes us happy. We get excited about that. When things end well, when everything's resolved and the hero gets um, what the hero needs and, and, and everything they went through is all resolved well, we like it. Nobody would be watching this channel if the uh, lady didn't get her bakery at the end and get to marry that guy, right? <laughs> or if the guy and his son didn't get the Christmas tree down to the White House to plant it. Or That's the one I saw. Like, that's, I had to laugh at that one. Um, like, we wouldn't be happy if they didn't make it, if it didn't work out, and we wouldn't watch it, and we wouldn't talk about it, and it wouldn't unify us at Christmas time. People wouldn't look forward to this stuff. So I'm th- thinking about that, and then I'm thinking about this story, Christ's birth. And I think there's some similarities to that idea of a good ending uh, wrapped up in the birth of Jesus. So here's what it says in Luke 2. Um, I'm going to start in verse 8. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. So uh, we get the perspective of some characters here in the story. We've talked about Mary and Joseph a little bit. Uh, We've seen some angels. We've seen God doing some things. And then um, we kind of focus on these shepherds. Now, back in this day, if you were a shepherd, it was a terrible job. It's not what you wanted to be. You had to be out living with these sheep, keeping them safe. It wasn't what everybody wanted to do. It wasn't what most people wanted to do, but it was a necessary job. And you weren't looked well upon. You weren't, like, uh, you weren't a great person in your community if you were a shepherd. But it was necessary because sheep are dumb and you have to keep them safe because they'll get themselves killed in any number of ways. And it's important because you need sheep. You know, People who own the sheep need to keep them alive because it's part of their, uh, their wealth. So these shepherds are out here, and they're out in this field, and they're hanging out with these sheep, and it's probably just a regular night. you know. I don't know, maybe they didn't love their jobs, so they're going out there, oh, I just gotta do one, another night of sheep watching, whatever, they're there, and they're hanging out. And they have no idea that their whole lives are about to change. Because all of a sudden, in verse nine, an angel of the Lord stands before them and it's not just an angel there, and it's not just some guy who's in a white robe and is kind of shimmery, and they might not know who he is, but hey, he looks important. It's this being who's standing in front of them, and the glory of God is shining around him. So like when we read about Moses, he also experienced the glory of the Lord. and We get a little more detail with him, right? What did he do when God's glory was in his face? He dropped to the ground. He couldn't look at it. It was so bright. And when, he, uh, when the people saw him later... The the glory of God was like shining off of his face. like This isn't just the shepherds are like, whoa, this is awesome. These shepherds are like, oh my goodness, God is here in this field with us and these sheep. And if you can imagine God just coming down in his glory and visiting you or sending his messenger to you in his glory, um, then I think you could relate, if you really think about it, you could relate to what it says next. They were greatly afraid. I know we think like when we get to heaven, I don't think we will, or or we're going to be like run up and like say, God, I got all these questions for you, let's talk. I think we'll get to do that, but I think the first time we really experience God's glory, we might be a little afraid, (laughs) because it is no joke. There's nothing like it on this earth. And it happens all the time when God comes to visit people, right? The first reaction is fear. But then God always does this next thing, right? And the angel says it in 10, he says, "Uh, don't be afraid, don't worry, you're not in trouble. (laughs) This isn't going to turn out badly for you. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And they say, I bring you good tidings of great joy. It seems like a little bit of an understatement, I think. Next week, uh, we're gonna talk about the hope of Christmas and uh, Pastor Geary's gonna talk all about what the children of Israel, uh, how long they waited, what they were waiting for. They were waiting for the day uh, when God would come, would send his savior to the people, the Messiah, right? That's what the Old Testament is all about from Genesis chapter three on. God is saying, I'm sending someone for you. I'm sending my Messiah to save you to usher in that boulder, to destroy that statue, and to bring in, usher in the kingdom of God on this earth. And he's coming to you, my people. And this angel then, with these, who knows their name, shepherds, uh, nobody, standing out in the field, one night, all of a sudden, God's glory comes to them and says, it's here, it's time, so don't be afraid, rejoice. Be happy, get excited. She got her bakery, it all worked out at the end, the snow fell. On Christmas, it's a wonderful time to be alive because he's Christ the Lord. And just so you know, you need to run into that city and you need to go see him and you need to, um, and you need to see, just so you know that we're telling the truth and here's how you're going to know that it's really him, uh, there will be a sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. So when you see that kid who's in the least likely spot of all that that's the Savior, the Messiah, that every word of the, every prophecy of the Old Testament, anything about a Messiah, that's who it's all been about for all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that you've been waiting. So we know the story, right? They go in and they hang out and they see him and they worship. And then if you drop down to verse 20, then it says this. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told to them. I, don't, I bet that those shepherds understood joy uh, in a way they'd never understood it before. And I bet they couldn't wait to tell everybody they knew, as crazy as they might sound, that they had seen the Savior, that Jesus, this baby, was going to be the Messiah, the promised one. They were living in history in a historical moment, right? Everything they read in Isaiah, Jeremiah, back in Daniel, all those things they got to experience it, be one of the first people to experience the fulfillment of that prophecy. What utter joy would they have felt? So then I was thinking, okay, so now let's go fast forward 30 plus years, and if you would turn to John chapter 19. 30 years later, Jesus has grown up, he really has changed the world. He is controversial. He, uh, he has tons of people following him. He has just as many people who are uh, trying to get rid of him. And then imagine if these shepherds got to go back on this day 30 years later, and they would see this. If you look at chapter 19 of John, starting in verse 17 after everything God had done, after that night of glory and joy and God's glory shining and making itself known to these shepherds and after all the miracles he's done and after all the ways he's proven over and over again that he is the Messiah, after he raised a guy from the dead, imagine those shepherds on this day. And in verse 17 it says, And Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side, and Jesus in the center. And then skip down to 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. All that joy that they had experienced that night when they were convinced that they were in history, seeing the fulfillment of all those promises, would have been in an instant snuffed out. Everything that happened, everything that we saw him do, everything we knew that was true about him is gone because Jesus is dead. Rome still controls the world. Israel is not its own kingdom. The second coming of David has not happened. It looked like it was about to. There's no army now to come and, and, and avenge Jesus' death. Everything's back to the way it was that same night before the angel appeared to those shepherds. So this would not be a good Hallmark movie for Christmas because this ending is pretty bad. And that's the way that a lot of Israel, a lot of the Jewish people, a lot of God's people viewed this story When it was time to celebrate Christmas, you weren't going to talk about Jesus because it was a sad ending. It was we almost got what we needed, we almost got what we wanted, but it didn't happen. But we know differently, right? We know that the story of Jesus' birth, that joy that we should feel when we celebrate that, we should have that same joy when we celebrate his death. And without the birth and without the death, that boulder doesn't have enough momentum to roll down and destroy anything because the power of Jesus and the joy of Christmas is found in his birth and in his death. So let's read that same story, but let's read it with a different perspective. Not the perspective of most of the people of that time, but the perspective of uh, what Jesus really came to do and why Christmas should be the, uh, a reason why you and I can experience a joyful life every day single day so if you would go to Galatians I know we're jumping around a lot we're going to look at one more passage besides Galatians but that's, that's it but go to Galatians because I want to get the right perspective for this story the things that those shepherds needed to know so that when they stood before Jesus' cross as he gave his last breath and he died that they weren't experiencing sorrow but Christmas joy Galatians chapter 4 starting in verse four. This is what Paul says, and this is how you should view the Christmas story, and, 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 and we're gonna talk about how else you should view, uh, what else you should view through this lens, but, but this is what it says. In verse four of chapter four of Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. First thing to note is that at the exact right time in history, God made sure that Jesus entered the scene. It wasn't too early, it wasn't too late, it wasn't a little late, it wasn't a little early, it was at the exact right moment that God had determined before time in history, before creation, before any of all that, he said, this is when my son will come, and he's going to come. Now, if you remember Daniel, there's always these little things in Daniel with the prophecies, right, that point to a Messiah, and, and Daniel doesn't know when that's gonna happen, but God knew exactly when that was gonna happen. It's the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. Now here's what the Messiah came to do. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Jesus' birth and life and death should give us just as much joy as those shepherds experienced the moment those angels were there telling them that, um, that the Savior was born. Because of this very fact, you and I should rejoice in the fact That Jesus was born, lived, and died, and rose again because he redeemed you and I who were under the law. And he didn't just do that so that uh, he could take away our sin. No, it's even better than that, right? That we might receive the adoptions as sons. So, not just that your sin's paid for, which is great. I mean, that's the best because there's nothing we could ever accomplish on our own. But not just that but that you are ushered in, welcomed in to the family of God. As sons, not just like the third or fourth son who doesn't get any of the inheritance and just has the name, but as sons like Christ who get to share in the inheritance. Brothers and sisters of Christ, like treated like firstborn children. If that doesn't give you any reason to rejoice, then I don't think you heard that. I don't think you're connecting with this story, but that only happens, you only receive that adoption if Jesus was born, which we're always happy about that, lived his life, we're pretty happy about that, died a horrible, brutal death, not everybody's always happy about that, and rose again on the third day so that you and I could be sons and daughters of God. Now listen to this, it gets better. In uh, verse six, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So God doesn't just take away your sin. God doesn't just recognize you as his firstborn children. God also sends his spirit to live in your life so that the way he operates, you can operate. So what he thinks is important, you can think is important. What he loves to do, you will love to do. I mean, the joy is just getting better. I hope you're, I hope you're seeing that. That it's just getting better and better. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ, which we talked about. That's what Jesus came to do, and that's what he accomplished through his birth, life, and death, and you have to have it all together, or else Jesus is just a nice story in the beginning, and he kind of shook things up around him, and then he just fades away into nothingness. And if the shepherds saw Jesus' life through this lens, then they would know that Jesus... uh, can bring them everlasting joy. And he brings that for you and I, too. Now, I just want to add one more thing to this, because it does even get better. Like, I feel like one of those commercials, one of those as-seen-on-TV commercials. But wait, there's more. Because it, gets, it does get better than this. Turn over to Revelation real quick. Revelation 21. We're going to look at a couple of verses, and then Revelation 22. It's the end of the book. Right? It, doesn't matter. it doesn't matter how you want to interpret all this or where, where, what position you have. What I'm about to read to you, um, every Christian should be holding on to and using to fuel the joy in their lives every day so that the joy of Christmas that we celebrate during the season, uh, we celebrate every day of the year. Okay, so Jesus saved us, took away our sin. Then God made us firstborn heirs just like Christ. Uh, And then, this is what happens next. This is what's going to happen for us. It's guaranteed. In Revelation 21, um, start in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So not only does God do all that for you, but God is going to come and personally be with you and me and each of his kids, and he is going to be in close proximity So that you get to be just like those shepherds experience the glory of God shining all around you. And it's not an angel this time that's coming to say things, it's God Himself will dwell and be their God. And so here's a couple of things that means no more tears, there's never going to be anything to cry about because it's all going to be perfectly right and good. Uh, No more death, nothing's going to die anymore. You're not going to die. Things aren't going to die. Because death, God is the God of life. And he's so powerful that death cannot be in him. There's not going to be any more sorrow. And there's not going to be more crying. Tears, sorrow, crying. Get the point? There's not going to be any more reason to be sad about anything. It's going to be joy all the time. And then when you think, oh, I just can't be any more joyful. Then you can be a little more Joyful because it's never going to end. I mean, if you like Hallmark movies that much, you could say it's like the Hallmark movie Christmas channel all forever, if you like it, if you like it enough. But joy is never going to end. There's not going to be anybody who says, I don't know what joy is. There's not going to be anybody who says, I don't have enough joy. There's not going to be anybody who says, well, I've been joyful at times in my life, but mostly I, I I don't ever experience that. Because when we're that close to God, Nothing bad can ever get in the way. Uh, verse five. Then he sat on the thro- he who sat on the throne said, "Behold, I make all things new." And he said to me, "Write these words, for they are true and faithful." Same thing he said to David about or uh, Daniel about some things too. Okay, then look at verse twenty or uh, chapter twenty-two. It's just reiterating this, but it's so good that I have to read it. Uh, starting in verse one. And he showed me a pure river, a water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. So everything is so beautiful with God. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for healing, the healing of the nations. So there's like plenty, everything's healed. It's all going to be complete and good, renewed, redeemed, like Paul said in Galatians. And then look at three. And there shall be no more curse. Something that gets in the way of our joy is this curse that we live under, that we live with, that is always hanging over our heads. Even Christians, we struggle with joy because we live under a curse. It has no power over us anymore, thanks to the Spirit of God, but you know, that natural side, that sinful man still wants its way, and man, is it a struggle to really experience joy like this, right? But there's coming a day when you'll never struggle with that again. It won't even be a thought. You'll always be joyful. Where was I? I lost my place. No more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face. I mean, we're going to get to see the face of God. And his name shall be on their foreheads. If those shepherds were that joyful when they saw an angel how much more joyful will we be when we actually see God face to face? There shall be no night there. It's not even gonna be dark. No darkness. Why? Because, and there's no sun, because there's no need of a lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. When Jesus was crucified, a lot of the people, a lot of God's chosen nation, looked at that and said, well, That didn't work. Well, that must not have been the guy. Well, back to the same old, same old. But that's because they missed what Jesus really came to do. Jesus didn't come to throw off Rome's power over Israel then. Uh, Jesus didn't come to ride in on a war horse with his uh, army of angels and slaughter all the people who didn't love God. Jesus didn't come to do that. Jesus came to redeem sinners. And when the angels, who knew that, said, Rejoice, I bring you good tidings of great joy. That's what they were talking about. That's the good news. That's the great tidings of great joy, good tidings of great joy. That's the only way that Jesus' life really makes us uh, understand everlasting joy and peace and hope that we're going to talk about, is if he came to do the work he did on the cross, is if he came to live that perfect life that God required, fulfill the law, and defeat death through the power of God. So, at Christmas time, everybody's a lot more joyful, right? Most people. That's what we say. It's kind of a thing we know that, right? People are a lot happier during Christmas time. That's great. I think that has partly to do with the power of the Christmas story. I know other stuff's thrown in there, other traditions and things like that, but I really think that that's a testament to the power of what God did. But you can take that joy of Christmas and you can live it and experience it every day of your life. Sometimes we get this big low, right? We had this big high of Christmas and then when January comes, it's like, oh, I got to do that New Year's resolution thing. Got to, got to exercise better. Got to eat, eat better. Right? We get this low. But God's saying, listen, you can experience that same joy every single day. First of all, you have to be saved. You have to believe in Jesus Christ as your only way to find favor and relationship with God. And if you're here tonight, today and you've never done that, that's your first step, is putting your faith in Christ. Once you've done that, the temptation is that's gonna wear off and then I'm just gonna gotta go back to my humdrum life and I gotta just do the next thing and everything's back to the way it was but the power of God is so, or the the joy of of the power of God and, and the word of God is so powerful that it can change your life completely so that every day you have access to this joy that we're all gonna know and never know anything other than when we meet God face to face. You can have that every day. First you have to put your faith in Christ. And then, Paul says in First Thessalonians, be joyful in all things. It's a choice you have to make every day to remind yourself that Jesus came, was born at Christmas, or at least we celebrated at Christmas, was born, lived his life perfectly, was killed, and rose again the third day so that you and I could be sons and daughters of God. And God would be glorified in the salvation of sinners. You can experience that joy every day if you just remind yourself and choose to live your life through that lens rather than just the lens of Jesus was a good guy and we get to have presents and good times when we celebrate his birth. It's so much more than that and I hope those shepherds realize that when Jesus died and he rose again and I hope you realize that as well this Christmas season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word together. Lord, I, I'm astounded by what you did for me. Sending your son, being born in a smelly barn, living a hard life, dying a terrible death, and rising again on the third day. Father, I thank you so much for that. Jesus, I thank you for doing that, for choosing to come to save someone like me. Father, I pray and I pray for all of us here that um, for those of us who know and have experienced this saving faith, Lord, I pray that we would choose to live joyful lives, not just at Christmas time, but every day of our lives, Father, to show others what you have done, that there is power in what you have done, Lord. I pray you change our lives so that rather than struggling with joy, we can choose joy. And Father, I thank you that we have the assured promise that when all things are finally finished, you will be right next to us and will only experience that joy for eternity. Thank you for that. Father, be with us and keep us as we go in your name. Amen.